0: You are listening to the Twibley Podcast, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year, a comedy podcast looking back at this week in history. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Amazon Music, Podbean, iHeartRadio, or wherever you like to get your podcasts from. If you want to follow us on social medias or message us with some suggestions for Worst Ever segments, you can do that over on Facebook or Instagram using T-W-W-W-B-L-Y. hey welcome back to twibley or this week was way better last year my name is bill with one l with me do not expose them to bright light do not get them wet and whatever you do do not feed them after midnight it's mr jeff mclarge Ah,
1: uh, <laughs> yes and thank god i i haven't eaten after midnight in many many years
0: one l <laughs> <laughs> what's going on how are you oh man i'm I'm
1: all right. It's been super crazy busy with work stuff, so I'm a little bit shagged out as we record yep. today, but, you know, I'm all right. Yeah, I can't complain. Shagadelic, baby. Shagadelic, baby. Right before we started recording uh, for the yep. audience, I-, I took a bunch of recycled cans that I had down here in my office out because I could smell my dog's dog food from the dog food can. Uh-huh. And it was like, uh, I'm not kidding, like 15 feet away from me. For those of you in that... the same room? In or- the sa- yeah, same room. And I just couldn't, I I could not escape the smell no matter what I did. I started to really notice that I had like a superhuman sense of smell when I went deaf in one ear. So I think that the, you know, I don't know how having a super powered nose uh, compensates for not having
0: a good ear. But apparently it does if you could pick your superpower I would have put you know opted for like lightning bolts out of my fingers but you know all right, right super smell right yeah that's uh
1: it's, uh, it's not super duper so like I, I, yeah. if the criminal is like hiding in my kitchen near the trash I can smell yep. that the trash needs to be taken out from my driveway but that's about oh. as far
0: that's about as good as I get <laughs> I'm a low-tier superhero I have a, a really good friend Rob he they should hire him out like Save money on dogs. Right. And have the police force, you know, high, you know. This guy has got such a sense of smell and it never works to like his advantage. It's always like his disadvantage. Right. He's like, he'll come over my house and this is kind of hyperbole, but not really. It's kind of like on this level. He'll be like, oh, my God, I'm going to have to wash this sweatshirt whenever I get home. I was standing in line in Cumberland Farms, and the guy in front of me must have been a smoker because all I could smell is cigarettes <laughs> yeah, on my yeah. coat now. It's like, what? <laughs> How is that a thing? Yeah, his sense of smell is incredible. And like I said, it never works to his advantage. He's always complaining about it. It is definitely
1: something that I notice. It's like to the point where I didn't notice ever notice it before, but I do notice it now. Like I can smell ingredients uh-huh. in food. I can I can tell when the fridge needs to be cleaned. I can smell when my dog farts in another room in the house. Like all of these things are things that my nose brings to my brain now. My kids are now familiar with the phrase "You can't smell that." How could you not smell <laughs> that? Which is get me tar- telling them to take out the trash because I can smell it. Right. It's so funny. And I have to catch myself and be like they're not like you, Jeff. They're different. They don't have <laughs> they don't have the gifts that have been bestowed upon you by whoever the god of noses is.
0: What you don't know is they're probably mumbling to themselves, "No, we can't smell it. Vincent Van Gogh." <laughs> yeah, that's right. Vincent Van <laughs> Gogh take out the trash yourself. <laughs> So, uh, before we get the show started, I do uh, have my very popular and always well-received trivia question. Hey, Jeff.
1: Um, I thought I was going to... Hold on. (laughs) (laughs) Smells like I don't know the answer.
0: Oh, Oh, no. I actually think... No, I actually think you do know this answer. Okay. I was talking with my friend Scott the other day, and he's a listener. Although he listens on Sundays while he goes grocery shopping. Well, that's
1: a good good way to listen. Good day to listen. Last day before the the new one drops.
0: Yeah, the week. Uh, yeah, the week's already. Yeah, he's our last listener. So at any rate, his, his ears are, you know, popping up like a German Shepherd right now. Right. Anyway, uh, we were discussing what this week's trivia question was going to be, and he actually knew the answer. Yep. And I, I said, I think Jeff is going to know the answer to this. One. Uh, all right. But I think it's a very. I think it's a very interesting question. Okay. So, uh, June sixth of nineteen forty four was the day where the Allied forces invaded Normandy, which basically set up the, uh, if not the ending of World War II, it ended Germans' occupancy of most of Europe. Uh, That day is known as D-Day. What does the D in D-Day stand for?
1: Well, I guess we'll have to talk about that at the end of the show.
0: All right. So, this is going to be the week beginning, January the 22nd, and it is your turn to start by Gum. Uh, January 22nd, 2002.
1: Do you remember uh, Kmart, Bill?
0: You mean the Big K store, the big, as I used to call it? The Big K. When I was a little kid, calling it the Big K store, thinking I was the only person on planet Earth that was you know, smart enough to put <laughs> that together.
1: That's right, the Big K store. In 2002, they went bankrupt and became the largest bankruptcy for a... Uh, retailer or retail store in history of the United States. So mm-hmm. the history of like the demise of Kmart is, is far too depressing for us to talk about here. But I, right. I always associated Kmart, like I went to that store a hundred million zillion trillion times as a kid with my mom,
0: Right. that that
1: was always the mall that you went. It was always in the strip mall and not the mall mall. And you went there when you needed right. to run in and grab something and run back out. You didn't go there to wander around. Even though it was a department store, because it was like a supermarket department store and it was closer to a supermarket than it was to a department store.
0: My strategy with Kmart is if there was a hot item to buy and all the other places, this is before Amazon, right? But like all the other places were sold out of it, Mm -hmm. like you remember. Of course, you remember it was a cultural phenomenon that still carries on to this day. But do you remember when the Sims first came out? Oh yeah, super popular, always well received, and you couldn't find it. Right. But I knew damn well that if I went down to Kmart, they would have them because at that point in time, nobody was going to Kmart. Right. Like there was th- this is like 2003, I think.
1: Yeah, that's that's when they started their long but not unsteep decline into oblivion. It was right around two thousand, two thousand three, yeah. two thousand
0: four. Yeah, so yeah, two thousand three, two thousand four, somewhere around there. Whenever the first Sims came out, I'd have to check my notes, but I remember going to Kmart to buy it because nobody would would think to go to Kmart to buy it because nobody was going to Kmart at that at right.
1: that point. I remember that there was there were a whole bunch of stores that were like Kmart. I guess they're regional chains. So down where we were, we had Zaire. Remember Zaire?
0: Yeah, Zare, at the Dartmouth Mall, our mall, mm-hmm. at the sh- you know at the uh, the shoebox ends of it, one was Sears. Sears was kind of like your mom's store. Zare was more for, like, us. I remember they had a much better toy section. Yes. They had a toy section, unlike Sears. Yeah.
1: Yes, they had a toy section, and I remember that was where we would go to get underwear and socks, but no other clothes, because that was the yeah. cheapest place to get underwear and socks, and no one was going to see them anyway to know that you got them at Zare's. <laughs>
0: Right, <laughs> that was uh, that's another, that was
1: theirs uh, for us.
0: That's another thing that I was going to bring up about Kmart too. I don't think it worked in their favor very much. That the term Kmart was also like synonymous with bad quality. Yes. Oh, what with those Kmart sneakers of yours or whatever. Yeah, Kmart became, I just said it, I'm going to repeat myself, synonymous with bad quality. And I, that really, really worked against them.
1: They definitely had a reputation for being the lesser of
0: the stores. You know what else I remember, too? There was a Kmart in Dartmouth. Yep. That was the one that was across the street from the Dartmouth Mall yes. that you were just referencing. And then there was another one in Fay Haven. Remember? And that one lasted longer than the one in Dartmouth, if I remember correctly.
1: Yeah. The one in Fairhaven Haven isn't... Didn't that used to be a Mammoth Mart, which was another store that's kind of like Kmart?
0: I'm not sure. It's a tractor supply store now, then, but yes, that uh, was that was Mammoth Mart
1: because we used to go there when we were going 70s, to my grandmother's yeah. house. Yeah, in the 1970s.
0: The part that I'm bringing up is we didn't get Walmart up here in the Northeast until like the almost the mid 90s. Right. Whenever Walmart moved into Fairhaven, like maybe a quarter mile from Fair, uh, from Kmart. Kmart, like in a at a big dick swing move, bought a big sheet cake and sent it over to Walmart and it said welcome to the neighborhood. <laughs> they didn't know that Walmart was gonna be, you know, the the biggest chain store right. ever. At the, that, like I said, at that point they were just coming into the northeast. Right. It was yeah, welcome to the neighborhood. <laughs> uh-huh. Next thing you know, can we have a jaw? <laughs> right, everything everything is
1: closed. And you can only you buy, mean, can only buy yeah. things at Walmart, yeah. Right, I mean, the, the experience of going to Kmart hasn't changed. You just go to a store with a different name on it. Walmart or Target are pretty much the same as Kmart was. And right. There were,
0: Cole, and, Kohl's is pretty much the same as Sears, right?
1: Or Kohl's, yeah, Kohl's is more like JCPenney, because they, they don't have like appliances and tools and other stuff. I always imagine oh, Sears has right, yeah, appliances yeah. and tools. Sears is tied to Kmart's bankruptcy as well. Both companies merged, and that was a way to sort of help booster Sears' stock and try and boost Kmart stock. And yeah. uh, their choice of manager for the Kmart Sears Corporation did kind of did them in. But it was right my, after that merge that it started.
0: My poor friend Mike, he worked at Kmart in Fayette until they closed and then he you know, he left there and he went to work for Sears and yep. then they closed. It was like jumping from Ice block to well, ice block. <laughs> yeah, as there's sinking global, global behind warming him. happens, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yep. Hey. All
0: right, let's move on to the 23rd. January 23rd, 1894, G.W. Bunbury of Dublin sets the shorthand record for 250 words per minute for 10 minutes.
1: That's a lot of words, That's a Bill. Lot
0: of, yeah, it is a lot of words. I don't even think I talk that
1: much. Oh, yes you do bill i mean (laughs) i i haven't counted or anything but i've known you for a really long time and i'm pretty sure you hit that 250 mark (laughs) really often i certainly in conversations with me you have okay i'm a
0: chatterbox
1: you are all right
0: so yep all right so shorthand that's kind of like really archaic shorthand and like i remember seeing it that was kind of like that was for, like, secretaries and stuff like that in the... I mean, this is 1894, so shorthand has been around a very long time. But in my brain, it was, like, 1970s because I was a little kid.
1: It's been around for a really long time, and it was before there was a faster way to record things. It was before typewriters. It was before steno machines. It was it was yep. the only way to capture the beat at which someone spoke. So you had to use, a, a like, a modified written language to make it happen. My... My mom or my aunt or my grandmother even had a Greg shorthand, like how to do Greg shorthand and a steno tablet when I was a kid. And I remember reading through it and thinking like, this makes no sense at all to me. It's literally like tick marks that mean certain words uh, and in some cases certain letters or exclamations or whatever. and. The vocabulary itself is, it's as expansive as the English language, but you're doing it with a much smaller subset of symbols. I'm an, I was an English major in college and graduated with a degree, yeah. and I still don't understand how it works.
0: Yeah, I've seen it, and it does. It just looks like a bunch of, not even scribbles. It looks like, you, like you just said, like tick marks. Like the, the, yeah. the pen weird. barely hits the page. Really, really weird. What you were saying before about steno, uh, yeah, the stenographers, if you ever see... Like court, and I believe they still use them in court to this day. Yep. Whenever there's a there's a person that sits to the side of the of the judge, and they type out everything that's being said in court. Uh, but it's like a very small typewriter. It's not a full typewriter. Right. What th- that stenograph does is it types in shorthand.
1: Yes. Which is interesting. It's a it uses a chord style a corded style of keyboard corded C H O R D. Uh, not c o r d yep. right uh, and so different combinations of key presses bring out different combinations of symbols that you then use to transcribe whatever it is that's being said and i i guess you can transcribe around 200 to 300 words a minute a good stenographer can do that which is they could bill they could follow you around and and capture your your 250 easies can you imagine i can't i that my
0: i mean i type fast but there's
1: no way i type that fast
0: no, but can you imagine that being your job? I've had jury duty and that's a boring ass day. Can you imagine that being your job? Oh my god.
1: To keep writing, I did not kill that woman.
0: <laughs> a
1: question from the jury. Are you sure you didn't kill that woman? Yes. You know. Um, pretty sure. pretty sure. <laughs> Last time I checked. But yeah, it must be that must be like mind numbing after a while.
0: Yeah. To do. How was your day at work, honey? Don't talk to me. I don't, I don't know. <laughs>
1: Don't talk to me. He, he didn't kill that woman.
0: All right, moving
1: on to the 24th. January 24th, 1939. Uh, American singer, songwriter, and satirist, Ray Stevens is born. Do you know who Ray Stevens
0: is, Bill? Uh, do I know who Ray Stevens is? Yeah, that's the guy that... He did all the novelty songs that weren't funny, right?
1: <laughs> well, I don't... I, I mean, the 70s are a weird time for novelty songs. So either you thought he was the funniest thing you'd ever heard... Or you started waiting for Convoy to come on the radio, which was a funnier song. <laughs> so I don't know which side of the fence I fall on this one. I remember being like enamored with the the Streak, which was on a KTEL record I had as a kid, yeah, and Guitarzan, which was also on a KTEL record I had as a, a
0: different KTEL record that I had as a kid, and I thought they were pretty funny. The one song that Ray Stevens did that I know was on a Tel novelty record and the name of the song was Bridget the Midget the Queen of the Blues. I remember thinking that song was funny, but I was also 6 years old. You <laughs> well, know, yeah, that's why
1: I thought the streak was funny. Yeah. I was not even a preteen yet. I was a I was a very young person.
0: When you are when you're 6 years old, you have a very low experience with garbage. <laughs> so uh,
1: <laughs> that's very true.
0: Your your tolerance is uh is pretty good at that point. Yeah. Yes. But yeah, I I have actually gone back and listened to that song uh, again. And I was like, oh yeah, all right, okay. I remember thinking the song was funny and nostalgia over it. I like, but I don't know if I would like it now. As a, I don't think it's, I don't think it would be really funny. Now. No,
1: it's like when I when I hear the streak now and again on like satellite radio, it's like, Ugh. that's the sort of noise I make. Ugh.
0: Yeah, well, with the Bridget the midget, they kind of did. The same trick as the chipmunks with the voice pitch yes. shifting and stuff like that. Yep, He did
1: have... I mean, he didn't only do novelty songs. That's just what he was most known for in the 70s. He also did a, okay. a ton of gospel records and stuff. And he had one... Really? Yeah, he had one record that was a like a major league hit. I, I don't know if he got a Grammy for it. I think he did for the song Everything is Beautiful. You remember that what? song? That's... that's Ray. Yes, yeah, that's Ray
0: Stevens, yeah. That's Ray Stevens? It is? Yes. Oh, my God. Ray Stevens' songs are supposed to be funny. Um, We'll give him the benefit of the doubt. So my friend Richard, when he was dating, what was his girlfriend's name, Masha? When he was dating this girl, Masha, he would have problems with her every once in a while. And whenever things were going like haywire, he would always sing that. Everything is beautiful. So that song, even though it's not a novelty song, always makes me laugh. Because I think about that, that moment, because it was super funny. Oh, that's funny. All right, moving on to January 25th, 1999, uh, supernatural horror film and blockbuster, The Blair Witch Project, premieres at the Sundance Film Festival.
1: Another cheap, that was like a cheapo horror film, right? That made a zillion, million, jillion, billion dollars.
0: Yeah, we'll get to that later. Uh, Yeah, so the Blair Witch Project, the original, it's a found footage style of movie, you know. The premise of the movie is three industrious young filmmakers are going to go out to the woods where there is a legend of the Blair Witch, which... I don't even remember what she was responsible for. I think she got, like, ran out of town for, like, killing children or something like that. Whatever it was.
1: House fell on her sister, that sort of thing.
0: Yeah, for wearing (laughs) striped socks, like like you do. (laughs) So they're going to go out into the woods to, like, research this Blair Witch, and then it just becomes a series of unfortunate events Mm -hmm. where they get lost, they walk you know, for a couple of miles in one direction, but they end up looping back around into a circle. It, it became a huge phenomenon, mostly because of its marketing. Yeah. Do you remember the marketing that went into before this? I
1: do remember the marketing because it was relatively well-received at Sundance and got yeah. huge distribution. And I remember the ads for it were relentless and there was a lot of ink built on how, I'm saying groundbreaking with the air quotes here, but how groundbreaking it was for this kind of, it seems like it's an unscripted indie film. And Whoa, well,
0: that's only half of it, though, right. Jeff. There was a, a website that went up that was treating this like it was, was real. real. Yeah. And Back in the old actually, days when you could
1: do that on the internet and people would
0: still... Yeah, it. yeah, before skepticism became the norm. And not unlike its predecessor, Cannibal Holocaust, right? the... Directors of the film actually kind of like sequestered the actors. Right. So that like whenever it was premiering, they wouldn't be seen in public. Right. Like they were really treating these three actors like they were lost
1: in the woods forever.
0: Re- yeah, 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 like they were missing. And and the website was set up like these people are missing, blah, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Every, like like i said everybody thought it was real for like a, a while and i remember going to see it in the theater after the hype had calmed down mm-hmm. you know and i went to see it in the theater i thought it was okay while i was watching it yeah they really built up the tension well and you know you spend 90 minutes going what's going to happen what's going to happen
1: what's right. going to happen right
0: and then you get to the end and f-ing nothing happens and the movie ends so i was mad about that and then i was living in my apartment building at the time it'd come on hbo you know a couple of months later and my friend who i'd gone to see the movie with was like hey blair witch is on hbo you want to watch i was like no because i know what happens (laughs) nothing it's not worth my time watching yes walk in the woods
1: the motion picture not interested yeah Yeah,
0: there's no fucking payoff to this movie at all right I'm, I'm, I'm gonna get angry now blair witch is not my movie definitely uh, not
1: but well, i don't have the best relationship with found footage movies to begin with like yeah the aforementioned cannibal holocaust included i thought that the gimmick was interesting but the movie was terrible the worst one i think that i've ever seen was cloverfield cloverfield was a movie that made me angry as i watched it uh-huh
0: did you ever see cloverfield uh, no, that one I did not count your blessings
1: because it'll make you angry when you watch it.
0: Uh, well, I know it's gonna make you angry because you like big monster movies and they never really kind of show the monster too much. So, like, I mean, the the part that you like about the movie isn't there,
1: right? And the characters I wanted to die from the minute I met them. I was hoping the monster would just eat them like in the first minute, and then it would turn into a <laughs> traditional monster movie. But it didn't. It never did that.
0: <laughs> it's like going to see an R-rated comedy from the '80s and there's no nudity. Yeah. The hell. Yeah. Yes. There's a sequel, actually there's two sequels to The Blair Witch Project. Blair Witch Project 2 and Blair Witch Project, which is part three, but it's just called The Blair Witch Project. And I really liked Blair Witch Project 2. I know everybody hates that one, but I liked it because it's more of a traditional kind of like movie rather than final footage. Right. And The Blair Witch Project, the third one, is the same movie as the first one with better special effects. Yes. It's almost... Almost beat for beat, the exact same movie. I was like, oh my God, nothing happens, and now there's CGI. Great. <laughs>
1: it's
0: the first movie with CGI and drone shots. It's kind of like George Lucas made it.
1: Right. Like,
0: or something, you know? Yes.
1: I mean, I don't have a problem with films that in a se- sequel series that are pretty much the same film as that that came before it, Cough, Cough, Saw. But it has to have a, a reason to exist, and I don't know that these do.
0: Uh, Going back to Cannibal Holocaust, I never got to see that movie until maybe about four years ago. We watched it on Joe Bob Briggs, so there was like all the little trivia in between and stuff. Yep. And I had to look away during the animal mutilation scenes because that is not my jam. Right. Uh, But other than that, I actually liked Cannibal Holocaust. I was I'm looking around the room at my friends and I was like, this movie's actually kind of good. So I liked it, but we'll leave it there my
1: love of italian cinema extends to and doesn't exceed westerns all right next up what do you got for the 26th january 26th another of our celebrity birthdays features andrew ridgely born in 1963 and if you don't know andrew ridgely's name you probably don't i
0: do i do (laughs) do you do you bill well let's enlighten the audience as to
1: who andrew ridgely is
0: he's a race car driver jeff no well, maybe no, he is. He is, though. He is now, right? Yeah,
1: he he's also more famous for something else than being a race car driver, which I know sounds insane, right? But what, probably best known, probably best known for his role as the guy that stood next to George Michael in Wham.
0: His, uh, probably best known as the other guy in Wham. The other
1: guy in Wham. When Wham broke up and George Michael went off to become a super giant superstar, Andrew Ridgeley also did some solo, put out a solo record, which had a music video or two that came with it and some singles that came off. And he just never had the trajectory that George Michael did. And I don't know what the reason for that was. It was kind of a cool story. Like I watched a couple of interviews with Andrew Ridgely about Wham and George Michael and their relationship and everything. They'd been best friends since elementary school. Oh, wow. And they remained best friends after they were in the band and the band broke. It didn't break up. He just realized that George Michael was going to take off. For real, and he wasn't, he just didn't have the same talent. So right. he stepped aside, and it was really, really interesting to watch. Totally worth watching him get interviewed if you get the opportunity. Good dude.
0: Wham! Unfortunately, uh, their first single, at least their first single here in the States, was Wake Me Up Before You Go Go. Yes. That song, I love that song, actually. I think that song's really fun. But the video that accompanied it is watch how I phrase this really offensive to middle America. (laughs) I
1: don't know. It it sort of captures like MTV at its highest level of of dorkiness.
0: It was a little too San Francisco for Oklahoma is what I'm saying, Mm. you know? And that was kind of like their undoing. They came out of the gate with that one. And then unfortunately, all their other singles after that, they kind of got hit with that stigma from that first one. But, like, songs like Freedom, Everything She Wants, like, all of the freaking Wham! singles, all right, Wham! rap, you can take that one out of there, and <laughs> the uh, the Christmas song, too. But most of their other singles, I mean, Wham! was a great pop band. Yeah, definitely. They fell into that, like, Duran Duran kind of vibe, you know?
1: They definitely did fall into that Duran Duran sort of sphere of bands that all kind of came from the same... Production, they came through the same producers, they were all in like similar record companies and everything. And they definitely had a sound, and they were built for MTV, they were not built for making records and selling records, they were made for selling music videos that would then sell records.
0: Yeah, like, yeah, they were musicians that were making pop, like dance music, which you don't see a lot of, right? You know, most pop music is producers putting out music and stuff like that right but like wham and duran duran like modern music like that i guess you'd have to look at stuff like ed sheeran is that his name yes. ed sheeran and the the dude that was <laughs> the guy that was the band leader on the stephen colbert show i can't think of his name but he does a lot of like pop music he got grammys galore and stuff like that oh um, um yeah i know who that is john batiste that's his name yeah john batiste he put out like uh, you know Grammy albums. All right. Uh, moving on to January the twenty seventh. All right. For, for all of our parents that are listening to this show, parents and I don't and I, grandparents. I, I don't mean great grandparents. I, no, I was about to say I don't mean parents like people with kids. I mean parents like our parents, your mom, right, uh, and and the like. So, January 27th, 1961, the television program Sing Along with Mitch, that's Mitch Miller, uh, uh, premieres on NBC television. Oh. I remember watching this in syndication with, like, my parents and almost protesting, like, can we literally watch anything,
1: anything else? yeah. I would
0: rather watch Lawrence Swelk with Meme than this.
1: Yeah, I remember having a similar reaction to this, although my parents were more into the... We're not going to put that on anyway. That was a show that my grandmother liked to watch, and I would sit and watch with her. Mitch Miller's an interesting guy, though. I mean, he was like a classical musician. He became an AR man for Mercury Records. And Uh this show and the bands that he... The the musicians in the 50s that he had on his show, the musicians in the 50s that he made really popular through Mercury Records, like Johnny Mathis and uh, guys like Tony Bennett... Yeah, Their careers all shifted two years after the show started, when the Beatles hit the United States, and changed the face right. of music forever. Now, Mitch Miller wasn't a rock and roll fan by any stretch of the imagination. If you look at his catalog of people he produced, you'll notice a trend among them. Yeah,
0: and 4-4 four, four is not that trend, right? But what
1: happened was the audience for his music and the music that he produced stayed with him. They just mm-hmm. they were already too old for the Beatles when the Beatles started. So he had this sort of built an audience that carried over to his TV show. Do you remember that he used to come at, and sing Christmas carols in New Bedford when we were kids?
0: Yeah. Yeah, every year it would be on the uh, in the newspaper. Right? He was, oh, sing along with Mitch. Mitch. He would yeah. be on the steps of City Hall and everybody would sing Christmas carols along with him. Now Mitch Miller wasn't from New Bedford. Nope. And it always struck me that this guy was, you know, a famous celebrity in his day. And he was always in Bedford. It's like a yearly tradition. I'm thinking to myself, is nobody else bidding? You know, I mean, New Bedford must have outbid somebody one year. you right. know. Right. I guess nobody else bids for him or whatever. Now, what we did not mention is what the premise of the show was. Oh, it yes. Was <laughs> it was a musical show. It was a musical show. V- musical variety show, yes. Yeah. Like, I guess what you were supposed to do is... Gather the family around the television, and they would have all these like sing along songs with, I guess, the lyrics at the bottom of the screen. Yep. And you were supposed to like gather the family around and the si- television and, sing, and along sing along. With- with- yep. And sing along with Mitch. Can you imagine? Can you imagine in twenty twenty four families doing this? Absolutely not. No families. No. But,
1: drunk people at a Chinese restaurant in town where I live. <laughs> absolutely yes. Because it's ultimately, this is stay-at-home karaoke. This is karaoke Ah, before karaoke existed. But um, yes, yes, I can. And and I understand the the social forces that would make that a thing. In the Mm -hmm. late 1950s, early 1960s, there was that weird fixation on the family, right? The nuclear family. Yeah. And how television was this tool that sort of brought everybody together for a certain number of hours every day what better way to be interactive with it than to sing along with these old, very white songs with old Mitch Miller. I don't know how many people sang along with him, but I'm sure my mom and dad did when they were kids.
0: You know, it's the one thing I remember about the show that I actually think is kind of cool is, you know, there would be a, you know, a group, a chorus on the TV show, on the, you know, on the stage, wherever they were performing, of about you know, 40 or 50 people all singing along with Mitch. And the way they would do it is they would have, like, one famous person, like, one celebrity of the day mixed in with that crowd. And it was kind of like a Where's Waldo kind of situation. Because you were supposed to, while you were watching, you were supposed to, like, try to spot who the famous person was and then, hey, there's so-and-so. Right. Oh, hey,
1: there's that guy pawing Doris Day. Oh, found her. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: And... And then here's me watching the show with my parents as a little kid. And my father's telling me, yeah, you're supposed to find the celebrity. And then, like, the guy comes down. It's like one of the Bowery Boys. I'm like, great. <laughs> Who the f*** is that? Who's that guy? I don't know. Celebrity has a strange
1: meeting for you, Dad.
0: <laughs> All right. Let's wrap up the week.
1: January 28, 1978. Uh, American hard rock guitar playing superstar Ted Nugent asked for an autograph by a fan. Signs his name on her arm. Or his arm. I don't know if it was a her or him, now that I think about it.
0: I'm going to guess it was a dude. Sounds gonna, like a dude. I,
1: it sounds like a dude. It sounds like a dude, because le- a, a girl wouldn't let him sign his name on her arm with his knife. Which he did! So, yep. yeah, I'm pretty sure it was a dude. It was like, hey man, Ted Nugent just cut his name into my arm. <laughs> I had to tell him how to spell Ted, but he got it. He got it right. <laughs> but there's a lot to be said about the Nuge. And we've, we've talked about him briefly on this show. Uh, both Bill and I like Ted Nugent's music. Bill, have you seen, you've seen you seen him live, right? A couple times?
0: Twice. 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 He opened up for Kiss both times that I saw him.
1: Oh, that's cool. I, I've never seen yeah. him live, but I used to have the Cat Scratch Fever record, well, cassette tape at least, on continuous play for about a year and a half when I was like 17 or 18 years old.
0: Yeah, I mean, musically... And also, this is a generational thing, too, but musically, you, ki- you kind of have to own the Ted Nugent, Great Gonzo's Best Of album. Yeah. Yep. It, I mean, it, there's so many rock, like almost anthems, I guess, on there. Cat Scratch Fever's on there. My favorite Ted Nugent song, which is also my introduction to Ted Nugent, Wango Tango, is on there. But, I mean, the guy's a phenomenal guitar player, a hell of a showman, all of his weird conspiracy theory and politics aside, as a musician in the 70s and 80s, I like Ted Nugent. I like Ted Nugent fine.
1: Well, I, I generally don't have a problem separating the artist from the art, or the art from yeah. the artist.
0: Well, now, what year did this uh, this knifing autograph take place? So, 1978,
1: when he was just out of the Amboy Dukes.
0: All right, so, yeah, just as the Ted Nugent solo career was like, right. uh, well, I'm not going to say getting started. It was... No, he he'd been going for a while, but he he wasn't he wasn't
1: doing yeah. arena rock. He wasn't doing arenas yet.
0: Right, Catscratch Fever, I think, was seventy yep. six. Right, but well, it is nice to know that the Ted Nugent crazy isn't anything new. No, <laughs> uh, you know what is an interesting story about Ted Nugent was much like his concert partner Gene Simmons. Ted Nugent was never one for drugs, never one for alcohol. But he was one for girls. Well, It's
1: it's funny you bring up Kiss because Christine 16, he was like, "Eh, I don't really like that song because she's too old.
0: Yeah, I was about to say. And that's kind of where we can stop having our conversation about Ted Nugent before we get into (laughs) Third Rail area. Yeah. All right, uh, before we get on to our (sighs) worst movie ever, before we get on to the worst movie ever, we we do have our weird holiday for the week. And it actually takes place on the same day as the Ted Nugent thing. January the 28th is Kazoo Day. Oh. So you can break out your kazoo and go... Something got scratched me from the kazoo.
1: Yes, and I'll probably go do that once we finish recording. I have a kazoo. Do you have a kazoo, Bill?
0: I don't have a kazoo. I have a harmonica.
1: Oh, harmonica's like a kazoo for talented people. Yeah,
0: you... It, no, a harmonica is you can play it you can play like
1: kazoo chords, I guess you could say, if you do it right. Right. Well, like I said, talented people. A kazoo is just yeah. It's for people like me who can't chord anything.
0: I love that meme that you see go around every once in a while on Facebook with the funeral kazoo. Yeah. And I just picture like a bunch of people at the at a funeral. Let's do Cat Scratch fever, guys. Right. Sing along yeah. with Mitch. We've already done taps. <laughs> well, we started up this season of of Twibbly, whenever you came back from your uh your near death experience. Mm. Actually your death experience. Yeah. You know, we were talking about let's uh let's shuffle things up on the show. You know, instead of doing the worst song ever every week, let's do worst movie ever. I can't believe I signed up for this. The worst movie ever What the hell happened this week, Jeff <laughs> I suggested this movie to you a couple of weeks ago. I was like, hey, do you have Peacock? I'm like, no, I don't. I was like, oh, because this movie's on Peacock for free. And then a couple of weeks, that was a couple of weeks ago, and then this week you suggested, well, let's watch Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. Yeah, that was a tactical error on my part. So you don't have Peacock.
1: I don't. I bought the... I paid... So you uh, had to
0: buy... You paid to watch this movie? Yeah,
1: I paid $3.99 to watch... uh,
0: Oh my God, you paid $5 too much. To have 86 minutes of
1: infuriating anger.
0: (laughs) And disappointment in humanity
1: that this film exists at all.
0: Okay, so while I was looking up stuff to to talk about on this movie, whenever you go to Google... And, you know, you type in Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. It gives you, like, a bunch of, like, suggested searches. Yeah. And one of them that came up is really funny the way it's phrased. It said, is Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey legal?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's a good reason for that question. Do you know the reason for that question? Why this movie even exists?
0: Uh, Yes, I do, because I looked it up. But I'll let you talk about it, because... So, I don't want to talk so about <laughs> So the characters of Winnie the
1: Pooh and Piglet both fell into the public domain in 2022. Right. And that's why this movie exists, because anybody now can take these well-known characters and stick them into films, advertisements, and whatever. There's no one they have to pay royalties to.
0: Yeah, as long as they look enough different from the Disney model. Right. Then, Like Disney owns the copyrights to their drawings of Winnie the Pooh, but the character. the licensing for the characters and even their lore, even the lore of Winnie the Pooh is now public domain. Right. So, hey listeners, you want to make a Winnie the Pooh movie? Knock yourself out and I guarantee you it'll be better than this boiling saucepan of vomit. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't
1: even enjoyable to watch in a bad way. It wasn't even a good, bad movie. It was just, I don't know, the way I sort of described it to you after I watched it was hateful of the audience <laughs> and disgusting. Uh, Bill, you and I go to see every Saw movie that comes out in the yes. cinema, so it's not like I have a problem with gory films. I don't. Right. But I have a problem with terribly written, poorly acted, horribly structured, obviously derivative, unnecessarily violent to female characters films like this one
0: and this one the more it rolled on the more angry i got so i mean you can write down the basic plot of this movie on one side of a post-it note yep all right so your word for this movie as you were describing it to me was hateful yeah. uh, i think the words that i used to describe it were aggressively bad uh, this movie was made for a hundred thousand dollars which moby dick for reference Moby Dick 2010 was made for five times that much yes and that movie was fine uh, five so, times
1: the movie this one was
0: yeah so apparently is Mo- Moby Dick must be in the public domain or they bought the rights to make that movie uh, Moby anyway, Dick's been
1: in the public domain for uh, like since 1960 or something it's I think there's Let's like,
0: make a Moby Dick versus Winnie the Pooh movie job yeah I think
1: it's 80 uh, years is how long the, the period lasts before they lapse into the public domain
0: Okay. The plot of the movie is uh, your friend and mine, Christopher Robin, you know, meets and befriends some creatures that we all know and love: Owl, Rabbit, Eeyore, Piglet, and Winnie the Pooh in the Hundred Acre Woods. However, in the, like you know, in the book, Christopher Robin's a little kid. In the movie, Christopher Robinson, you know, gets a little older and he ships off to college and leaves the anthropomorphs so, in the woods all by themselves and without him. You know, because I guess he was feeding them and stuff. They all, like, turned on each other, and they went, feral? (laughs) And they ended up eating and killing Eeyore. Yes. And then they all kind of, like, developed this hatred for humanity. You know, now they're just, like, wild, anthropomorphic motherfuckers, I guess, for lack of a better word. The movie starts out, and I'm going into this knowing that everybody says this movie's a piece of trash. And the movie starts out with a lot of, like, drawings and a narrator and some exposition basically saying what I just said. And I was like, oh, this isn't so bad. I don't know why there's so much hatred about this movie. Once the exposition and the opening credits ends and the movie actually starts, that's when the, oh... (laughs) Nowhere to go but down. (laughs) That's where... The oh that's why everybody hates this movie starts.
1: So I can sum the plot of this movie up in in about three sentences. You want me to sum it up in about three sentences for you, Bill?
0: Well, we're gonna drag it out a little bit, but we'll drag it a little
1: bit. It's a slasher film, just like every other slasher film that's ever been made, only not as good. Yep. In the film, Christopher Robin returns to the Hundred Acre Wood with his wife. The only two remaining anthropomorphic mutant animals are Winnie the Pooh and Piglet who kill his wife and take Christopher Robbins hostage, but we don't learn that until later in the movie. Then cut to one, two, three, four, five, six, five girls on their way to a vacation house outside of the hundred acre woods. One of their friends whose car breaks down and can't get there is on her way. And then they are slowly slaughtered by Piglet and Pooh until Piglet and Pooh slaughter literally every single person in the movie. There. Yeah, it's there's your summary. It's a
0: slash. Yeah, it's a slasher movie bingo card for sure. I remember there was this one scene where there was this girl, one of the girls. Who knows? I mean, all the names are interchangeable. You know, she's all that She's like sitting in a hot tub and she's taking selfies. And I was like, "Oh, well, she's dead!" And sure enough, she's dead. The thing that I found the most infuriating about this movie, outside of the paper thin plot, two things that really got me. But one of them was the amount of times the word please is said in this movie. Every time Piglet and or Winnie the Pooh are going to kill somebody, there is a good, it feels like 10 minutes, but it's probably closer to one minute of just pleading. And not just pleading, but like trying to corner them with logic. Please, please, you don't have to do this please and like i re- like if i could stomach going back and watching this movie again i would sit there with a you know clicker counting how many times it says they say please in this movie because it's absurd
1: my biggest issue with it is it just the film exists as a way to beat up and kill women and make women beg for their lives i that's literally the only thing i took away from it each successive element of the film was just that repeated over and over and over and over again. There was no plot line that ran through it. There was no character who was meant to sort of be the, you know, the Laurie Strode or whatever, the one that survives and, like, makes it through to get to the next film. None of that. None of it. It was just, like, vicious and hateful. And I hated every minute of it. 86 minutes. It felt like 860 minutes to me.
0: (laughs) So, the movie concludes with, you know, two of the girls escaping. And they run into, a, a like, three rednecks, which, you know, changes everything I really know about England. So, yeah, there was, well, there's
1: one, the guy I, that owned the garage, right? That's the, the one that was driving the truck that they got into. And he has an Alabama yeah. accent. And then all the other yeah. guys sound like they're from Australia. So I, yeah. take that for what you will.
0: Well, he had an Alabama accent, but, like, through a British filter. Cause he was a he was a British actor trying to do an Alabama accent. Right. So these three like rednecks, you know, the girls are running away from uh, from Pooh because one of them had managed to kill Piglet pretty viciously. Right. Like with a sledgehammer. She just came to skull in. Right. So they managed to get away from Pooh, and which I feel stupid saying that. <laughs> and <laughs> they run into this like group of rednecks at a truck, and they're like, "What's y'all doing over there?" And like, they got Kill us, the- Why don't you guys just calm down? Tell me what's going on. Get out the fucking car, Get out the- of well. Just calm down now, and then Pooh shows up in the shadows. Right. And then the three guys go over there to fight Pooh. I could hear the screams of everybody that hated the modern Halloween franchise losing their mind. Right. Because everybody, the the three rednecks, just go full house. ...on Pooh until he's like on the ground, like defeated, and then he just stands right back up, exactly like Halloween Kills. Right. Exactly like the end of Halloween Kills, like beat for beat. There's a bit after
1: that, too, where he gets squished between two vehicles, one of which apparently is grafted to the earth with some other weird gravity <laughs> that holds it so it doesn't it doesn't like roll off when a car smashes into it at fifty miles an hour. But he gets smashed between two vehicles, one driven by the escape from captivity Christopher Robin. And yep. and then Pooh cuts the throat of the last girl that's alive and kills him with bees.
0: The the most insulting part of the movie is upcoming, but I wanna tell you something that used to upset me. Because I've been working in the haunted house industry for going on 25 years. Right. And there's one thing that's like a rookie era. People outside the industry aren't going to know this, but people in the industry know. Paint your goddamn hands. <laughs> so so Winnie the Pooh and Piglet, too, which I, I hate myself for saying, but Winnie the Pooh and Piglet are both these dudes of like overalls and rubber masks. With human hands. Yep. With no makeup, no gloves, no anything. Carving your damn hands, it looks silly. At the very least, like if
1: they didn't have public domain characters to use, they could have just been two guys.
0: And it would have been just as
1: as terrible. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Bucky and Yucky, the the redneck twins, right? Right. So the most insulting part of the movie is Pooh, has you know the last girl like basically in a headlock with the knife against her throat, and Christopher Robin is begging and pleading and begging, begging and pleading and begging and pleading, and he's like, "You don't have to do this. Take me. I'm the one that left. Take me. I'm the one you know that you want. You let her go. Blah blah blah." He's like cornering him with logic, and then Winnie the Pooh, in the only two words he says in the entire movie, "You left." And then slits the girl's throat and that's the end of the movie. Like Christopher Robin kinda like runs away. Well, he runs away, but he gets
1: Pooh waves at him and he gets covered in bees and killed
0: up the road. Oh, is that what happened? That's what happened, yeah. I was I was watching it at my phone in the gym and there was a lot of um, scenes that were very dark. Yeah. Stuff like that's hard to see when you watch on your phone. Yeah,
1: I watched and, it I watched it on a big T V and uh oh. that's what happened.
0: And that's, I'll tell you something else. You know, watching this movie at the gym, Cardinal era, because, like, you watch stuff at, on the, at the gym to make the time go, you know, the whenever you're on a treadmill, or on a, right. in my case it was an yeah. elliptical machine, you know, make the time go by a little faster. This was like a marathon. Like, <laughs> this made everything go by so slow. Right. Ugh. You know, a- after he kills the girl, and I guess before the bees, which I seem to have missed, Pooh like, stabs this woman repeatedly. Like, she's already dead. And he just goes on this, like, I don't know what, if he's cutting her up for a shish-kobab or something like that, but he just, like, stabs her over and over and over and over again. It's like, all right, Pooh. All right, Reese Waterfield, the director. All right, we get it. Okay. So this movie was made for $100,000. It did $5.2 million in box office, because, you know, Curiosity kills his cat. Weren't you saying before that they're planning a sequel to this?
1: Yeah, as far as I know, Blood and Honey 2. I'm not going to be watching that, Bill.
0: No, no. Yep. No, I mean, I don't think this story needs any further explanation. You know? I could see it if it was called
1: Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey 2. Everybody who's seen this movie, the first one, is in a class action lawsuit. The motion picture and then i i could <laughs> i could be i you know what i'm on board for that i'll take my three dollars and 99 cents back thank you and a million dollars in compensatory be- damages
0: yeah oh you'll be happy to know that in the sequel owl and tigger are confirmed to appear
1: well i know that they couldn't get tigger for this one because disney still owned that's a disney character so i don't oh, know if it- yeah i don't know if they'll be able to really get that one or if there's some loophole that they're able to draw from or maybe it's because Milne drew it just as like a little stuffed teddy bear. So I don't know. Like a, a teddy cat or whatever.
0: All right. Before we wrap up the show, oh, let's get away from this. Yes, let's uh, do that. Oh, hey, oh we, we haven't done this for the past couple of movies, so let's do it for this. On a scale from 1 to 10 chuds, 1 being in a completely enjoyable movie and 10 chuds being the worst movie ever, I'm giving this one 10 chuds. This is a 10. i I'm This movie goes to 11.
1: This movie gets 11 chuds from me. It's oh. 10 plus one bad. It's terrible. The Golden,
0: the golden Shud.
1: Yeah, The Golden Oof. Shud. The, it's, the worst the movie ever, it's the worst movie I've ever seen.
0: The oft-sought Golden Shud. <laughs> All right, before we wrap up the show, I do have the very popular and always well-received trivia question, Hey Jeff. Uh Oh, it's a history question this week. That's right. I'm, yes, I'm excited yes, for this Yes, it one. is. Yep, The Invasion of Normandy, June 6, 1944. Uh, better known as d-day previously known as operation Neptune but more colloquially known as d-day what does the D in D-day stand for
1: uh, I don't know about colloquially known as operation Neptune it was Operation Overlord was the d-day landing
0: I gotta hear as operation Neptune but good it's Operation Overlord um well one of us is wrong and one of us has oh wait uh allied invasion army and Operation Overlord during World War II. Operation Neptune was the plan uh, okay. going into it. okay. D-Day was called Operation Neptune before it was called D-Day. Right. It was a part of Operation Overlord. Okay. But anyway, D-Day. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about D-Day. Yes. What does the D in D-Day stand for? The D in D-Day is a
1: pretty simple one. It just means day. So it's day-day. You, day. Are, you are correct. Yes. I don't know if that was you like co- meant to... F- fool the Germans. <laughs> were like, what? does what this? We have intercepted this this code. It says D-Day? What does D-Day stand for? I don't know. And, <laughs> and all of a sudden, oh, there's a lot of boats out on the shore over there.
0: <laughs> you know, it was called D-Day, and they asked Dwight Eisenhower, who was the general at the time. Right. You know, he was the uh, Supreme Commander of the Allied Allied invasion forces, forces yep. Yep. And they asked him what the D and D day stand for. And he says, it stood for day. Like, that was the day that we were going to do it. So it was the, that was the day.
1: <laughs> day. You know,
0: we, they, ha- well, they had other days. They had like mobilization day, right. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But the actual day was day, day, day. Yes. And then there's a lot of experts that don't buy that story, but the experts could go get f***ed because it's Eisenhower. He's the one that named
1: it. <laughs> I liked Eisenhower, but I'm not the most creative with his nomenclature. I'm surprised they got yeah. Overlord passed. It seems yeah. overly complicated. Let's just call it Operation Get Germany.
0: Yeah, it's Dwight D. Eisenhower. The D is the D for his middle name, it's a right? Day.
1: Yeah. D, yeah, D for yeah. day. Yep.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, anyway, the experts seem to think it stands for disembarkation Ah. Uh, no i like the day story better
1: i like the day story better too
0: uh another one thinks it stands for day of decision but that's way too poetic it's just day
1: you know it's funny because originally i thought it, was, it wasn't followed by day so it was d something else and it was d's nuts
0: because <laughs> <laughs> the germans can suck d's nuts <laughs> D's nuts uh. all right uh, but that's going to wrap up the show for this. <laughs> that's going to wrap up the show for this week. We'll see you back here in seven days. Say goodnight, Jeff.
1: Goodnight, Jeff. Bye, everybody. Bye, guys. A special thanks to James Costa for our theme music. Find us or message us on Facebook or Instagram at Twibly or T-W-W-W-B-L-Y. Subscribe if you haven't already and tell your friends. Maybe they need to learn how to spell potato.